Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 3, Issue 102 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. Grabbed by the ghoulies! Anybody who plays the game knows why that's so great. Probably the best thing about the game. Uh, Now, something becoming more and more popular to do is play along with the show. And for those of you looking to do so, the next 10 forthcoming issues are Championship Stroke Football Manager, Little Big Planet and Little Big Planet 2, Batman Arkham City, Killzone 2 and Killzone 3, Proteus, Mark of the Ninja, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2, The Lost Levels and Super Mario Brothers 3. No way is that going to fit in one show, but we'll leave Leon to work that one out if you haven't had enough super we have super monkey ball and super monkey ball 2 the week after near and newly added to this list is hitman blood money you can of course head to thecanerince.com for the full schedule the blog the links to our forum merchandise store facebook page twitter feed and youtube channel and as ever please subscribe review and rate us on itunes so we can feel generally better about ourselves and other people know that you know we're doing a good job uh Anyway, on to the title that we're actually talking about today is Grabbed by the Ghoulies. Tony Atkins, in this issue, we have Darren Fiddlesworth Gargett. Oh, yeah! And James, Mr. Ribs Carter. Our ghoulies are in for a rare treat. R- rare treat? No. Um, now, this is a funny one. Um, I completed Grab by the Ghoulies for a second time. Uh, first time would have been back all the way in 2003 upon the game's release. Um, but second time was about four days, five, four or five days ago now. Um, and there I was, you know, after a, a long boss battle, feeling relieved and seeing the end credits. And out of nowhere, uh, quality insurance comes a Mr. Darren Gargett in the, in the um, credits. And I go, huh, 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 And, of course, you know, Darren working at Rare has become famous now amongst the Cambridge community. But to see his name up there on screen and amongst many other luminaries, I was like... Okay, so took a picture. It's on Twitter if people want to see see it for themselves. But Darren, now full disclosure, obviously you know you worked in brackets on this game. Um, what's your history with Grab by the Ghoulies? Because this is a weird one. Because not many of us have names in credits in games. I do. I have one, but that's a long story, and I'll save it for another day. So, Grab by the Ghoulies, 
Yeah, okay, so history with this game. I'll try and keep it brief, but it basically consisted of me hanging around on IRC chat rooms when they were still a thing. I'm pretty sure they still exist now, but not as prominent as they used to be 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago. And I just bu- I bumped into the right people, and I was doing the right things on the right websites, and it all culminated into me all of a sudden having an interview at Rare, my first interview in the games industry, in front of all my like my rock gods, if you know what I mean, like people like Greg Mayles, Grant Kirkhope, and the, you know the the Stamper Brothers at the head of the table and stuff, just interviewing me, just like asking me about, you know, why I'm a, why I'm a gamer and you know asking me about how I think about video games and stuff like that, and it was it. I remember shaking, I was shaking like a leaf, and um. Absolutely petrified, but, uh, you know, as you said, I'm in the credits, so I, I, I got the job. Um, it was the 1st of September 2003, which makes it over 10 years ago now, which is quite scary. And, yeah, so my history with the game is bowling it into the uh, quality assurance room with, um, like, you know, giving it all the, giving it all the laughs, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm daring, but actually, like, terrified underneath it all. <laughs> and just hearing the music and thinking, so this is grabbed by the ghoulies and it was only like it was only about a month before the game was ready to ship for America so you know there, there was it was widely no, it was widely known that you know this game was on the way but you know the, to actually hear it and smell it and see it before most of the world was ah, so what was, you had three weeks of or, or a couple of weeks of just hard testing breaking the game seeing if there was anything they could fix right before the end yeah yeah so quality assurance is or games testing is literally just it's walking into every room of the game as Cooper uh, in this instance and just seeing if you can break the game. Uh, on my first day, I did break the game and, uh, you know, people are like, all oh, right. Well, how did you break it? Come on. Uh, you know the disco room? Yeah. There was a mummy inside one of the vases, vases, and um, I threw a chair at it and when the mummy popped out, it crashed. And uh, it, it's kind of, it's like, it's one of those moments that I'll never forget in my life because it was like, this is how this job works and I'm actually quite good at it because, you know, these people... When you're a games tester, you it's quite bad to say, but you get into your own rhythm of playing a game. And I was obviously fresh enough to the to the game, you know, in such late development that I was doing things that people weren't normally doing. And you know, I happened to throw a thing at a certain thing, and you have it. We have all the capture equipment there, and you have like a logbook, and you know, all these programs running to let the developers know exactly what happened. And they all come running down like, "What happened? What happened?" And it was like, "Well, this new guy broke the game." And I was I like, "Broke your game?" I was like, <laughs> I had a massive cheesy grin on my face, like, "Yeah, I did. I broke your game. How'd you feel about that?" You know, and in later months, it ended up me up with arguing a few of the uh, few of the developers. But that's part of the fun, isn't it? Really, they released it in October for the American launch, and then it was a month after for the European launch. Which means I had to play it for another further, you know, three or four weeks to ensure that in all different languages it was running fine and no text was bleeding outside of the boxes and a lot of boring stuff to normal people, but I'm not normal. And you I love find, it though. I, I yeah. love it to pieces, yeah. And you still want to be a tester? It's one of the hardest jobs to get now because they basically assign those jobs to people who can do more than one job at once. So the artist test, the programmers test, everyone yeah. tests, and you know, a testing, uh, you know, a testing department is something of a luxury nowadays hmm. and did you play the game upon its official retail release or had you had enough of grip oh, on the i wanted nothing to do with it when it came out um there's only one game that i've tested and really liked afterwards and that was saber wolf for the game boy advance again a game no one's played but um yeah it's what it's like when, when you see the game on the shelf and you think oh like finally that's that's done that's that's gone and then obviously by then you're already hating the next game that you're playing for the rest of your life or what's what feels like the rest of your life. But yeah, um, I have played Grab by twice since I, you know, literally caned and rinsed it at, at my job at Rare. Um, 
and both of them were very emotional, <laughs> shall I say. <laughs> it, yeah, it stirs up some really weird memories and playing it for this this show, playing it through to completion again was... Did you walk up to the vase and hit it with a chair again and, and it worked? And you're like, ah. And uh, when I saw my name in my credits, because I hadn't seen it for 10 years, I had a little tear rolled down my face. I was like, I've, I've, I've always wanted this job. I've always, you know, a big N64 fanboy. I love Rare, their, their catalogue for that era. So to actually get my life goal ticked at the age of 20 is kind of scary because like would well, you now do it's all that? downhill at that yeah, point like great what do i do now so yeah this is this is your pick in particular and it's you know it's great to see the story like that now but james you're the complete opposite end of the spectrum you i believe had never played this game before before actually just sticking your name down and saying yeah okay i'll, I'll be amongst that show obviously i heard of the game but that this game came out in a console era that I just didn't have consoles, therefore wasn't playing console games. So, um, so yeah, I just hadn't played it, heard of it, um, knew it was by Rare, um, knew it as as their first Xbox game, and that was that. That was it. Um, never, never thought much of it. But I mean, if I write a list of all the games I'd like to go back and play, if I had infinite time, it'd be well, uh, you know, ridiculously long. Um, so I, I basically just any time, you know, a game pops up on the podcast list or pops up on the schedule, and and they, you know, you guys uh, are looking for someone else. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I can play a game. I'll play anything to get on a podcast. So no, it, it was quite an easy choice for me. Um, when uh, this game was added to the list, I popped myself down as a as a kind of maybe, you know, yeah, absolutely, I'll play this, and um, then. Uh, picked up on games on demand which it's it's still there as a backwards compatible downloadable game for for xbox live which i think it was one of the first ones actually Mm. um it's now in pounds rather than points but yeah picked that up a couple of weeks back and then i think just last weekend last friday sat down and actually uh fired into it and basically played played through it in the weekend um yeah it's not a massively long game is it six six. uh, five hours just over five hours my time was Mm. Because it gives you a very nice stat sheet at the end, which I, I wish more games would do. Um, you know, Metal Gear Solid does that kind of thing. Gives you a lot of different sort of breakdown of how you've played. And uh, generally, GTA games, you can go into the stats and find it. But you actually get a sheet at the end. Um, do you remember what your score was? No, I can't remember off the top of my head, no. My history of the game, um, you know, I, I brought the Xbox on day one so i was looking for for more games to play um grabbed by the ghoulies you know obviously the the acquisition of uh rare by microsoft was a big deal so you know big rare fan previously so just one of those ones which was a, a must-have if you own a, a new console there wasn't a huge amount of games coming out for it at that point so yeah and plus you know in in the states they got it for a halloween title we got it for in november so hey they were the good days right um we got it as a Thanksgiving title, I guess. Then. What's, what's <laughs> that's, Thanksgiving? That's big over here, right? <laughs> what, what's that? Um, so yeah, but it's it's hard to remember. I I obviously I remembered the the opening title as I've sung it three times now already, and I, I promise not to do that again. But it is a great opening title. It is, and uh, and I had pretty damn good fun memories of of playing it back then. So yeah, I was looking forward to to seeing how the game held up. What ten years ago now? Hmm. Yeah, ten yeah. years later, almost just over. Well, for me, yeah, it's 10 years and uh, one month since it went out the uh, QA doors. Mm. Ah, memories. So, before we actually talk about a game, I just want to do a little bit of history uh, talking about Rare. Uh, Because surprisingly, we're 100... Well, 
101 episodes before this, we haven't talked about any Rare games, or haven't at least played any for the show. Sacrilegious. Uh, I'm not sure how that's happened, <laughs> but in the future we're going to put that right, I'm sure, because there's some fantastic titles. But I just uh, I put a few jots of uh, notes down of what the history, little history of Rare. So I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to get deeper into uh, the game itself. So, founded in 1985 by Tim and Chris Stamper, Rare in its early years primarily concentrated developing on the Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES for anybody else outside of America, creating many successful titles such as Wizards and Warriors, Battletoads, and RC Pro AM. None of those games I've actually played, sadly. Oh, RC Pro AM is really good. Yeah, one day, one day. Uh, with a strong relationship founded by these titles and Nintendo hardware, in 1994, Nintendo rolled a 49% stake in the company, turning Rare into a Nintendo second-party developer. Under that partnership, Rare made many classics, including... Now, get this as a list. GoldenEye, the Banjo-Kazooie series, Donkey Kong 64, Perfect Dark, Conker's Bad Fur Day, uh, Killer Instinct, uh, Jet Force Gemini, and Blast Corps. I love Blast Corps. Blast Corps is definitely like uh, one of those hidden gems that sort of yes. people got to know over time. Whereas obviously your Golden Eye, your your, mm-hmm. your Banjo Kazooie was sort of like your your you know your flag, your your willy waving games. But yeah, Blast Corps was one of those. Like, have you played Blast Corps? No, no. It's, it's by the guys who made Golden Eye. Like, oh, check it out. I tell you what, the rare logo was like as iconic as the Rockstar logo. It was like the, the gold are on the front of a box. You're like, it's a, it's a rare game. Like, yeah, we need to yeah. get the rare game because like they make the good stuff. Do you know what I mean? It was definitely like that back in the day. Well, and so in 2002, Microsoft, eager to own a number of successful development houses to work on its new Xbox platform, played a total. And I remember, if you remember this, this was a big deal back then. Mm. They paid $375 million yes. to own 100% of the company. Yes. $375 million. Let me put that different, differently. What's that? That's, well... £200 million? Pounds? That, yeah. That's a lot of Jaffa Cakes. More than that. Who knows what it was back then and by exchange rate, but, I mean, even then, that's... Quarter of a billion. More than 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it it would be more than that now. You know, by inflation, £375 million mm. would be at least £500 million. Um, There were some yeah. smug-looking people when I joined. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess part of that... Well, I don't know. You might know, Darren, actually. Um, the Banjo-Kazooie um, franchise obviously came with Rare. Mm-hmm. Was that Microsoft having to buy that from Nintendo? Did they own that? Or did well, that well, always Nintendo, stay part of Rare? Nintendo, obviously, Donkey Kong, they owned. Um, and GoldenEye was that weird ass situation. Yeah, that's where, a weird one. You know, yeah, caught yeah. up well, between everything. But license, yeah. essentially, Microsoft brought the Banjo-Kazooie license and a few others. Or Killer Instinct, clearly. Well, I think because yeah. Nintendo only owned 49% of the company, they didn't have ownership of the IPs, I do believe, um, for rare. the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way they... I think they came with the money. They, yeah. they came with the big bucks. So quite quite a sizable bit of that would have been for those licenses, to the licenses mm. to those franchises. Because mm. obviously Rare keeping that in-house, that boosts their value quite significantly. It's not just a group of people... Um, but you're actually buying the intellectual property that that company owns as well, which is a big deal. So. Well, the reason I bring this up, and this obviously, you know, I, I think this does play a little bit into Grab by the Ghoulies, is that Grab by the Ghoulies was the first title to be released under that new partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, future games would include Conquer Live and Reloaded, which uh, was a pretty average remake of Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameo Elements of Power, which was an Xbox 360 launch title. Um, the fantastic Viva Piñata and Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise. Mm. 
brilliant Donkey Kong Country, uh, Donkey Kong Country, Banjo Kazooie, nuts and bolts, and the Kinect Sports. Um, now we honestly could spend all night discussing if Microsoft got a good deal or not, or whether they in fact killed a once great development studio uh, who are now seemingly don't seem to be doing too much. That you know, the last thing we heard was they were they were making uh, Avatar clothes and well. They're not, they're not even involved in Killer Instinct, are they? Uh, kind of in a supervisual role. They, they, Double Helix are making it, and then Rare are just like, yeah, like you know, Jago looks faithful, and it's, it is that they are kind of working on it, but not in any meaningful programming, you know, way. If you know, it's um, yeah, the it's a, it's a bit of a shame. But if you think of like Star Fox Adventures. The company was already sort of dwindling by it in terms of the quality they were putting out, like Mickey Speedway USA. And stuff. <laughs> did, did nobody inform Microsoft this before they gave them a quarter of a billion dollars? And I think that's why Nintendo sold them because I think things were. Oh, this is all like me speculating, but I think things were, things were on the rock. Well, and once again, we, we don't want to go too down deep down this rabbit hole, but I think from at that point, probably when that deal was going through back in. Or 2001, 2002, and that discussion was being had. I think the games industry was in a very different place. Mm. I think games like Donkey Kong were, you know, were thing or Donkey Kong, Banjo Kazooie, um, you know, were really highly regarded, and you needed those on your platform to sell really well. I, I think unfortunately for Microsoft, uh, once they've launched their Xbox uh, console, first-person shooters and other games tended to start to, to break through the market mm. and they were now the in thing and they you know, continued to be that. So I think they brought into an industry that was slightly different um, and would change you know, forthgoing from that. So they got themselves in a you know, rock and a hard place. But, it, I mean, honestly, Rare went on to make some fantastic games mm. under uh, Microsoft. In particular, Viva Piñata is, is fantastic. So, you know, I'm, I'm... I'd actually make a slightly different argument here, which is... It's a little bit like when you see um, footballers move between clubs and a footballer can go from being sort of kind of a, a good all-round player at a big club and go to be the star of a smaller club that's sort of up and coming or that kind of thing. That's exactly what happened here, it seems to me at least. Microsoft needed people to take notice of the fact that they were launching themselves into mm. the video game market. And what better way to do that than to have every, you know, okay, the internet wasn't as as pervasive uh, back then as it is now, but it certainly would have grabbed a lot of headlines oh, yeah, and a lot of magazines would have written about the fact that Microsoft paid this massive sum of money. And that puts out a message that Microsoft are serious about, you know, going after Nintendo, literally by buying companies that Nintendo part owned, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think that's what that's about. They should have invested in motion that controls. They... That's where the money was. <laughs> but you could argue that actually to Microsoft it didn't matter what what the quality of Rare's games were like or, or how they did then. It was all about being for advertising is yeah. what it, it ended up being. And so the the games that came after that are a bonus. That's the oh, icing on the cake. I forgot to put Perfect Dark Zero down. Yes, you did. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I think it did matter, but yeah. Um, yeah, let's, let's not go down that road. We've already gone down anyway, further yeah. than I wanted to. So, and, and I think all of that was very important to actually preface this game because there was a lot of pressure I think on Grab by the Ghoulies um, I mean it's uh, Grab by the Ghoulies I mean it certainly had a load of big guns on board uh, I mean it's director for one Greg is it Greg Mayers mm, Greg Mayers Mayers um, he'd been 
at Rare since 1990, so you know, almost at the very start. Mm. Uh, had previously worked on Donkey Kong uh, before getting the chance to direct Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie, two fantastic games, and was a major part of Ban- Conker's Bad Fur Day and you know the less fortunate <laughs> Star Fox Adventures. Uh, he would later go on to be the lead of Banjo Kazooie, Nuts and Bolts, and Viva Pinata. So his pedigree was fa- absolutely fantastic. Um, and also its its composer Grant Kirkhope mm-hmm. um, composed the scores to Goldeneye, Banjo Kazooie, and Banjo Tooie, Donkey Kong sixty four, Perfect Dark. Later would work on Viva Pinata, superb soundtrack, Travel in Paradise, uh, Nuts and Bolts, and Kings and Vamela. So I mean, just having that as your resume, Jesus. So that there's a huge, you know talented director composer i assume darren from being there there was a, a great you know artist team as well yeah yeah they're all in their own little separate barns it, yeah people know the story of rare but yeah there's like a separate barn of grabbed by the ghoulies barn and a conquer barn all working away like keeping their game secret from each other to you know provoke uh competition between them and uh yeah there was definitely well evidently a great artist team at, uh on the grabbed by the ghoulies barn because i yeah i think it looks great now, apparently, Grab by the Ghoulies started life as a GameCube game, mm. and you can actually feel many of its roots still attached. Um, in particular, Luigi's Mansion definitely springs to mind in the way it kind of shares that same setup, like haunted house, girlfriend kidnapped, or in, in um, Luigi's Mansion's case, Mario was kidnapped yes. as a little girl. So, girlfriend uh, kidnapped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the single room to room gameplay, moving into one room, mm. complete, then moving to the next, slightly more free, free form, and. and better handled in uh, Luigi's Mansion for, for sure but for sadly I think that's where many of the comparisons start and end because at times for me anyway and, and many others grabbed by the ghoulies can feel a little bit like a committee meeting of ideas um, but before we wander down that rabbit hole because that's a quite a fairly deep rabbit hole for me to, to talk about I just want to talk about your thoughts on the look of the game because like I said it, to me it feels very much like Luigi's Mansion yeah, I think uh, in this case, you know, Grab by the Ghoulies is a bit more cartoony looking than um, Luigi Mansion. If you look at Luigi Mansion now, it obviously looks like a, like a bit like a cartoon, but to me, it looks more like a like a claymation type affair. Like when you know when Luigi's opening the door, it kind of looks like a Wallace and Gromit character, kind of plasticine and you know, and that works for Luigi Mansion definitely. But here we got like a a cell shady type look. Like Cooper especially looks more cell shaded than the rest of the environment, and it kind of it it kind of sums up um, Microsoft's attempt to make a mascot work. Like, you had things like Blinks and Voodoo Vince and some mm. other... Ma- and Whacked and stuff like... that. They all feel kind of the same. Like, they've all got that... It's hard to explain, but they've all got this weird look about them that sort of make it unique to the Xbox. Um, and obviously, Rare's distinctive humour, um, you know, and uh, research and development team with, you know... Op- Rare's games on any console look better than most, and you know here is it's no different. You know, uh, I think in in every single room the art is just outstanding. Like you can't, you, there are a few cases of it, you know, copy and paste. But for like it, when you go into each different room of the mansion, you, it, it has its own feel, it has its own vibe, yeah. and you you know exactly where you are. I, I, know, I know what you mean actually by that that look because what it is, it, it's I think it's kind of got that Nintendo look, but at the same time slightly more adult. Yeah. Um, but not too far, not you know, not now. Like with you know, you go to the very other ends of the stream. Just enough that there's a bit of a sheen there that isn't found in in Nintendo games. Mm. I think they go kind of more, you say, bright, you know, bold colours and cartoon. I think they they kind of mute the colour palette a little bit. Yeah, um, and just make things feel a little bit more realistic. Whilst you know, clearly, you know, it's been hand drawn and uh, and animated. 
And I think, you know, the, the theme of the game also lends itself to the Xbox ideals. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of Halloween-y, so therefore it's a bit darker, it's a bit gloomier. And it definitely works for the mature console that, that the Xbox was trying to be. And, you know, ended up being, I guess. Um, but, yeah, the, you know, the art of the, um, of Grab Body Ghoulies, it, to me, it stands up even today. Uh, you could easily see this game not, not coming out on today's consoles, but maybe as like an Xbox Live title or as a Steam game or something. Like, it definitely, like, playing it, I was like, you know what, this game looks and sounds well, great even today. And, and obviously, we've got rose tinted glasses because we're coming back to this after many years. But, James, you know, somebody coming into it fresh, I mean, yeah. find the look appeal. No, you, you're spot on. I mean, Nintendo are known for having games that age well simply because the the art style trumps the the graphical power um i was really surprised how good this game looks now albeit i was playing it on a backwards compatible 360 it's got a built-in scaler that i think it does use for games as well as videos so it's it's upscaled to my tv um but nonetheless there's no way I would peg that as a an early Xbox game um, at all. It looks very vibrant, very colourful. Um, the environments just look really interesting. Um, you know, I couldn't tell you the names of a lot of the rooms, but I could describe them to you and tell you what's in mm. them and what I was doing in the room um, and the enemies I faced and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, each room feels distinctive. Every character feels distinctive. There's no point would you get any character mixed up, including the enemies, even when it gets... Uh, pretty intense, which it does at times with lots of enemies around you. No point at which you might get an enemy mixed up for a, a different one. Nah. Um, they've all got a real just character to them. Um, everything about it looks really good. Mm. A, a game that it brought to mind for me, and I know this game came out afterwards, so it's definitely not that. Uh, well, m- maybe this game did affect the look of Beyond Good and Evil. It has that kind of. Mm slightly adult they're definitely trying to show people in in a cartoony way but but it still is very cartoony and it's vibrant and colorful uh that that definitely was a game that was brought to mind for me it's it's funny because in my mind I, I feel like this is every bit of the microsoft game but yeah this was previously worked on on the gamecube how far it was taken down that route pretty far oh, by the sounds of it you can see um, it on the disc in the extras section there's a pre-alpha or alpha video of it running in the gamecube era and it looks very similar just like right. a, a lot worse because it's obviously not fully developed and like the characters are nowhere near as charming as what they ended up being like they're really sort of mm. uh, it really looks like a you know um like the video they first showed the the guys like this is grabbed by the ghoulies and you're like all right, yeah, I can see where you're going. Like you know, the, the first proof of concept. Cause... I just, but I just, felt, and, I, and I don't know whether this is just like the old anti-Microsoft thing that has been seeping over all these years. It just feels like you know, I mean, and and as well as Rare had previously made Conker's Bad Fur Day, so I mean, there's plenty of signs there that they they were willing to go slightly more mm. adult than than Nintendo they'd done previously um, before, and and that was on the Nintendo console. So there's no reasons why. You know, the look of this game couldn't just been this is what the look was and Microsoft have come in and, and added their own sheens. I think some of some of that comes across is because there's little traces of Microsoft stamped on this. Um right at the very start of the game, the the, the first room you come into, there's an Xbox uh, box inside the room mm-hmm. that you you have to mm-hmm. smash to get the key. Yeah. And I remember at the time actually laughing at that. I was like, Oh no, there's my Xbox But playing it now, you're like, Oh just, it just seems really cynical. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh my god, there's the Xbox. And maybe that is what the influence is. And it, it doesn't only just lend to the look of the game. I, I I personally think the characters themselves feel very much like they 
I mean, I, I mentioned committee meeting um, in the intro, and I feel like some of the aspects of this game are a bit like that. So Cooper, um, the main the main dude you play, um, he's he's got blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, he, he's kind of like that, you know, that poster child teenage mm-hmm. boy uh, that Microsoft was probably aiming their console at that time. Um, and he's you know his girlfriend Amber's got his you know is kind of like a feisty girlfriend with pink hair like all very very early two thousands like and I, I'm not too sure that's what um, Rare would have gone with under Nintendo but it felt you know like Microsoft had some influence in there like hey you got to make these you know cool characters yeah Cooper definitely like you say he's got blonde hair blue eyes and I'm I'm reminded of Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. And yeah. I'm wondering if they took something from that because you know he, he kind of is Home Alone in a weird way, and I wonder if there was a bit of inspiration from that. But yeah, you definitely feel like if if Rare were making this game during the GameCube era and it fully you know developed and came out on the GameCube, it wouldn't be a human. It'd be something like I don't yeah. know, like like uh, it's hard to say, but something more ghouly-ish or something like that. You know, something more in theme because <clears throat> sure they're humans in the house, but they don't actually act that human. Like you know, the, the butler's a bit odd here and there. Yeah, and Cooper just feels like it was, um, like you say, it was, it was, it wasn't designed by Rare, but actually by Microsoft. Like all the ghoulies around him seem far more mm. characteristic than Cooper himself. He's a bit of a blank canvas in, in a way. Like he makes the same noises every time, like "woo yeah," and that's yes. all I can remember from him. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't really find him that much of an interesting character. Um, you know, both in gameplay and the actual cutscenes, um, which is a bit of a shame because you know Rare characters have been great. Like I say, banjo mm. is is iconic. And exactly, yeah. That meant, that, I mean, that's what I was missing. There was there was a huge amount of charm. Actually, there's there's some charms in the characters you meet throughout the game. Oh yeah. I thought the you know the central protagonist, as, as much as you could call him that, was just a really blank canvas, um, and it just felt like yeah, you know, this is a modern gamer. You play as modern gamer, <laughs> and then the, you know the rest of the game doesn't necessarily uh, it, it doesn't really congeal or gel very well with um, with what's presented right as face value it's quite an odd one it's an interesting one because we we very much think of sony and microsoft in their early days trying to capture that nintendo mat style mascot you know um and and both sony and nintendo and microsoft had different ways of going about that um i just i find it difficult to believe that that anyone at microsoft or indeed rare thought cooper was going to become some kind of mascot Mm. it's almost like a mirror held up to microsoft's ideal um audience mm-hmm. back back then rather than you know the, mario is not a, in any way representative of of the typical <laughs> nintendo gamer nor is you know ratchet in, indicative of of the animals that play with the playstation because clearly that's nuts um so i just find it quite odd that as you say there's this there's a little bit of a character vacuum in the in the main character when there's so much of interest around him um yeah a little bit odd but then the character aside from the cutscenes, um you see the back of him most of the time it kind of aside from cheering when he does you know something good um it just becomes an avatar you play with unfortunately yeah, you see the back of him it doesn't yeah. matter yeah it's it's not him that you're focused on most of the time anyway or at least i wasn't so um there's no point really going too deep into the plot because the plot is pretty much there to yeah. to, to have the player play through, um, you know, just the challenge rooms which are presented as, as in within gameplay. But um, it's it's quite a fun plot. I mean, it, it's well... it's got a it's got a bunch of um, 
entertaining uh, side characters that you interact with, and uh, you know a, a fairly funny uh, main villain. Is it Baron von Gaul? Yeah, they've all got funny funny names. Um, is it Crivens, who's the uh, the butler, uh, a slightly well, he's mysterious butler. It's like, mm. did the butler do it? And they kind of they, they <laughs> yeah. play on that the, the entirety of the game. Yeah, the, um, the problem I got with the cutscenes and the plot in general is just that it takes too long to get there. Like you're watching this comic book esque uh, cutscene, and you're just like, oh, right, stop interrupting the flow of the cutscene with the text uh, boxes, and just get to the yeah. good bits quicker. Because I was finding I, I played this game hundreds of times, and every time the cutscenes came on. I was just pressing A to get through them as quick as I could. And yeah. uh, I've sort of become numb to it now. I don't really, like when I was playing it recently, I don't, I've never really paid attention to the story because that's the way I've always been, you know, I've been trained to play it. And I just think like they could have done, I, I'm never a fan of comic book style frames when it tells. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, each, so if you've got a comic book and each pane in the comic book um, moves, you know, and there's an animated section in it and then that moves to the next one. Um it's been done many times before, and I think many times after. And it's it's once again, it's not not really something that ever grabs me. I, I feel quite cool. detached from it, and because there's no voices, it's all simlish for for you know, use yeah, of a better yeah. term. It's typical rare, you know, noises to you know to gloss over the fact that, that if they did actual languages, they'd have to translate them into a million other languages. You know, so <laughs> it's kind of it's the get out of jail free card, isn't it? But with comic books you have text within the frame of the graphics whereas here it has an individual box for the text and that's really jarring that really gets in the way yeah I I personally actually find uh, comic book style panels can be done pretty well there are bad examples of course and I think this kind of sits halfway between the two for me Um, on the one hand I like the fact that the comic book panels are just sort of piecing together the the cutscene rather than having this this sort of cutscene feeling like it's interrupting play. It's just like almost like you're reading this story like a ghost hmm. story type thing. I think that's the effect they're going for. Um, the panels with the text on that text doesn't need to be there at all, and it absolutely shouldn't be stopping me and ask stopping me and asking me to press A. Um, I think this could have been done much better if it was a bit subtler. So fewer panels not as much because they're panels but there's movement going yeah, on they go well. quite deep in their story which they have absolutely so no need to do yeah essentially what it feels like is they've taken the cutscene and broken it up into little two second snippets of video yeah. and framed them in a panel so the cutscene could have been you know five could seconds been... long and actually the panels themselves can take anything up to like you know 20 seconds yeah, to move through but I'd actually have preferred a series of still images, like four or five still images, just telling you in 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 a really well done image. As as Darren's saying, you can get a lot from a comic book panel. It feels like it's moving. It feels like there's action happening. The text that's on there doesn't seem like this sort of stationary, you know, thing distracting you. It just feels like part of what's going on. You could quite easily have seen maybe four or five still images just sort of flashing up in almost um, flipbook style. Uh, to just really quickly get you know boom 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 move through the story carry on all you needed was a picture of Crivens pointing at something illustrative of what you had to go and do next you know a reaction you know the reaction of Cooper etc and that's all it would need to be and it would have been much quicker it is actually quite funny I, I'm going to put in parentheses funny um but it, it's it's got a an old fashioned British sense of humour. I mean, yeah. from the very title itself, grabbed by the ghoulies. For anybody in America, like what the hell is that? It's basically grabbed by the testicles. Um, doesn't sound quite as good 
like that. So <laughs> Grabbed by the Ghoulies is kind of a funny, you know, mockish yeah. uh, version of the there's title. There's a lot of double entendre yeah, there's, going there's on throughout this There's a whole ton game. of it. And I'm sure Darren's probably got it all stayed up, stored up in his brain because he's just that kind of a character. So... <laughs> Darren, um, you know, uh, uh, polish my brass and stuff like that. Yeah, like if I if I if I hadn't attested this game, I would have remembered a lot more. But because I'm, like I said earlier, I'm trained to block it all out. It's hard for me to remember what the people say. Um, I know Mr. Ribs is particularly, you know, camp and he makes a lot of innuendo. And Mr. Fiddle, uh, Fiddlesworth, the, the groundsman, he does a lot like fiddle my trumpet and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And pluck my pheasant and stuff like that it's all yeah it's 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 quite a carry on light if you like mm. uh, that that kind of thing where it's all it's all euphemism and, and innuendo and that kind of thing but yeah it comes across maybe not as funny because it's not supposed to be a punchline to a joke or anything it's all just littered and sort of peppered throughout the game as just amusing aside to to see if people notice the the, the jokes in the it in really the struck to me like it was rare desperately trying to get humor into a game which was at times, fairly humorous. It, it's it's yeah, odd. It has its moments. It, like it, it's it's quite an odd one because you know the work, the actual environments are quite serious looking. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even though it's quite mm-hmm. cartoony. But then they have a door that pops out of a door frame, and it's probably one of the best characters in the game because it's a door mm-hmm. and it goes. <laughs> and it tries it's to hit you with its doorknob. And then yeah. when you kill it, you get a screen. That it, obviously, the screen is a bit of an annoyance, but it says, I sure showed him the door. And you're like, oh, that, that's funny because it's so bad. Do you know what I mean? That's such a mm. bad joke. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that like... played better in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was intentionally bad yeah. all along. You know, it's I think a tongue-in-cheek it's, it's, sort of... Yeah, yeah, it's just really silly puns uh, for the sake of, of punning, as it were. Um, the, the characters themselves have a lot more humour than the writing. And I do like a good pun, but don't get me wrong. But here it kind of just... Like there's there's a great one at the end of the game where because the um uh, in the garden the 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 bowl is for Mingella but the cut scene is purposely placed that all you see is the word um, min minge <laughs> yeah like the, to me that's funny that that's 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 like deliberately placed in a certain yeah. way that they could get away with it but I think that's the idea is that there is so much of this stuff be it visual gags be it um be it the text in, in the cutscenes, be it sort of pratfalling and slapstick and that kind of thing there's so much of it it's kind of it's inevitable that i come away from this thinking of it as quite a funny game despite the fact that probably two-thirds of the the quote-unquote jokes that were in Ground. there yeah. were actually yeah more grown worthy mm. than than funny but there's still a third of the entire game where I was kind of not, certainly not laughing out loud, not even maybe chuckling, but smirk inducing, hmm. you know, you know, just amused by, I think is, is a fair way to put it. So the setups, it's the surrounding parts of the gameplays. I mean, I, I think it's okay. Um, and visually, it, you know, I, I think it's quite charming. The gameplay itself. I mean, there's, there's some really interesting stuff and I, and I have to remember back in 2003, I think they tried some, some you know things which I think we've we've started to to take for granted now. Um, so the gameplay itself is um, to simplify it down to its core. I've I've got this by the way. I I was thinking about this as I was playing it, and I, I think I know how to describe this game so that everyone gets it. Go. Devil May Cry as a twin stick shooter. That's it. In the first Devil May Cry, it's all challenge rooms like that where you get locked in, okay, you've got enemies yeah. to defeat, it opens up, but it's a twin stick shooter. So you're moving with one stick, attack with the other one. It's as simple as that sounds. Mm. That's really it. And it then comes down to the challenges they put on you to make it more interesting and more diverse than that. 
Well, actually, really? yeah, and actually, to, to, I mean, there's a game similar to this to Human many years later where oh, yeah. all the... I mean, so what they do in the game, they put all the combat controls on the right uh, analog stick. Hmm. So, I mean, it's not like... As far as I know, you can't do combos, so it's more of a case of if you pick up a frying pan, if you push forward, you swing forward. If you push back, you you know, you know turn the character turns around and tries to hit the thing mm-hmm. behind him. Left and right does roughly the, the same similar thing. So and there's no kind of like half glancing and, you know, and quarter circles to to nah. achieve something different. Yeah. No, no, but it's no, no, yeah. I, I guess the idea, certainly when they were in development, was it was a way to to bring you know players you know who had you know previously probably not like combo driven games and actually make things really simple. Like that is your stick for hitting things. It's actually quite confusing the first time. Even though I'd played it before, I was like, oh yeah, of course this is all on the single stick. Mm, it takes a little while to to get your head around, and they they you know only give you very mm. easy enemies to to kill first time. But then obviously you control Cooper on the the left hand stick and then you control the camera with the um trigger yeah, buttons yeah. yeah um yeah. and yeah. i like it i mean it's I, I always like unusual control mechanisms i kind of wish they had um you know playing it recently with a fresh mindset sort of um i kind of wish they had like a an automatic camera because i don't really feel like the camera was like, i wasn't using it to its full potential i wasn't swinging it around going i can't see behind you know, i can't see around the corner because the rooms yeah. sometimes are fairly big and you know and, and i kind of wish the camera was more automated and the O and R triggers were used for modifiers for your moves. So, like, you held down the L trigger, you got a different type of move. Yeah, spin or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Something a bit different because I, like, playing it now, it was like, oh, this is the move set. Oh, it's kind of boring already. And they alleviate <laughs> that with the um with the pickups. You know, you've got plates, you've got chairs, you've got frying pans. You know, you've got all these things that you can pick up, and you know, you can throw vases. You can you can do all sorts with the with, with the environment. And but even then, you're just like, oh, okay, this is another thing I can pick. It's very samey, and they, they do say like the best games thrive upon sixty seconds of combat or you know gameplay yeah, being fun, fun repeated over and over, and over, and over again. Yeah, yeah the uh, Halo line. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And I I just don't think this game this game probably went went for that and didn't hit it. There's I, I feel like the the challenge room stuff is is been really popular over the last few years it, but but it's normally on the, an added extra somewhere just to kind of you know mm-hmm. it, how good are you at this game and here's here's your challenges mm. so so the way the way they set up the most simplest one is that you're as i said you know you've got individual separate rooms uh, throughout this mansion and you get teleported to each one so you don't walk well you, i guess you do walk with through that main hall in the environment but mm. it's very much felt like it feels like you spawn into each room and each room has um a simple challenge so a simple challenge can be um kill five ghouls or kill five mummies uh, once you do that then the door opens and you can wander out um and as you progress through the game those challenges become more and more harder so it could be a case of you need to kill you know five money mummies and uh, the only way you can kill them is to kick them into a open fire within the room uh, on top of that you shouldn't destroy anything within the environment so many of the obstacles can objects in the environment can be broken so if you kick one of the mummies in the wrong direction they hit that then um mm. we'll talk about the reaper in a minute but then that fails <laughs> that challenge um and there's lots of things like that. So you say um, there's challenges where you can only use weapons. There's a number of weapons in the game. Um, there could be a challenge where you can only use your fists or you're down to 1% or 1 hit point or you've got super um, weapons but only, but you and you must use those. So they just... I mean, there's more than just entering a room hmm. and killing everything in there and then pushing through. And then that in itself is quite effective so when that when that's really working when you've got say three challenges all up and running at once it can be quite a tense experience mm. not 
you know, thinking, okay, well, if I use this chair and I can only use weapons and this chair breaks, um, so you've only got two hits of the chair and suddenly you, you let loose of a fist on that third hit because you haven't quite <laughs> realised the yeah, chair yeah. was broken and you get the Reaper spawn. You hear the gong. Oh, the yes. gong. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think the Reaper, to me, is the key, the absolute key to this game. Mm. Um, to explain the Reaper, he is the Green Reaper. He has the, the reaping stick. Um, he spawns from one of the doors. And all you hear is dung. And he... <sighs> and it also, it also takes away the music from the room. Mm-hmm. And it leaves like a weird, like like a ghost town noise in the background. And it really sets the tone for what's just happened. You're like, oh, God, this is... This is going down. And... Yeah, this is this is really bad. So when yeah. the, the Reaper spawns in the room, he wanders towards you with a glowing white finger. Now, if he touches you, then it's instant death. Uh-huh. Uh, fail state, you restart the room again, and off you go. Um, now, there's a two-edged sword to this, because if he hits you, then you die. But if he hits anything else in the room, they also die. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, he's about the same speed of you, so you can't really escaping very well <laughs> so you have to keep your distance at all time and say that you need to kill three or four things in the room still and um you know there's there's quite a hard at that point you know you don't have necessarily have to stick to the challenge rules because the reaper is spawned so you're trying desperately to control and kill the things in this room to get the door open whilst at the same time having a massive added pressure that this thing is just streaming across the room trying to kill you mm. and it's trying if other things get in its way then fine it's going to kill them but it's uh, you know it's always like that gameplay mechanic where suddenly you know there's tons of other things in the room but they don't care about that he only cares about me mm-hmm. um, and there's some really tense uh, scenarios when that uh, plays out. If you were to smash the environment up enough while the Grim Reaper is out, you can get the little can the power up that you know mm-hmm. gives you the challenge complete or you can make the the Grim Reaper dizzy. So there are a, f- a few ways of alleviating that. But yeah, it is um it is one of the best things about this game is the green reaper because uh, there are times where it's inevitable like there's there's no way around it like you've got 10 seconds to kill these things you're like well that's never going to happen like so the- well but more, more than that there's actually rooms in which there's one room at least in which um you need to spawn him you're not you're not allowed to use your fists and you're not allowed to use weapons mm. Mm-hmm. So, so the obvious outcome being that the reaper arrives <laughs> as soon as you hit anything with either a weapon or a fist yeah. so um so there are some rooms where it plays with that and it's you walk in and you quick scan the top left of the screen and decide oh i'm screwed and and it's about working out how you complete the the third challenge um whatever that whatever the stipulation is surviving for however long or um or killing a certain number of enemies whilst the reaper is in the room so it really does play with you sometimes in terms of setting a really tense situation up and asking you to make sense of it very quickly and and uh, work out how you're going to get around it and yeah the reaper i found myself a lot of time thinking well a couple of rooms as soon as the reaper arrives well screw it i might as well just let him kill me but in other rooms where i've only got a couple of enemies left to kill mm. right just run around and let him kill them wait until you know they fall into his path and, and he'll that's kill hard them for to me. do <laughs> it's harder to do but high risk rewards. well it, it actually does allow you a certain amount of um just a certain amount of choice and a certain mm. amount of um, of control over the situation, even when it's kind of got away from you and got out of control, you always feel like you can regain things and, and deal with the situation to a certain extent. I mean, it, it's odd because, I mean, that that is essentially what the game is. That It's just challenge rooms. There's probably, I, I haven't counted them all, but there's probably, say, 
100 maybe 120 plus rooms that you enter i mean there's multiple rooms you enter in this you know time and time again as you wander across the mansion so you've seen the same environments um but you have these challenges in these in these challenges room and because essentially you don't do a huge amount of difference the game actually kind of wears you know it, its charm wears pretty thin pretty quickly because after like the, the you know the 15th or you know 30th challenge room you're like yeah yeah i i get this and okay what's next you know what what's my challenges mm. yeah and i mean you you mentioned this james when we were talking on twitter how mm. some rooms you you don't even look at the, really look at the environment all you want to do is get out the door the other end because you know oh, yeah, some of the enjoyment yeah, of that sure. is, is gone so you're just like yeah hit these things really quickly and you know there's a there's a ton of stuff to actually do in these environments and explore mm. and kind of look at the, the great art but all you want to do is get out the door at the other end um and but you know on on the other way is that there is a number of rooms where there's i mean i I would say they're difficulty spikes but i assume that they've made them slightly harder so it's not quite so monotonous for the player so you hit these difficulty spikes and you and you die you know five or six times well two or three times doing what you would normally do you know just trying to go go for the motions and then you normally you know you have to take a step back and actually go oh, well well that clearly isn't working so what do i need to do and then i mean i, I really enjoyed those moments because you can take a step back and then actually wander into the environment see what the challenge is and then you know things spawn r- normally out of the same areas mm-hmm. uh, occasionally some rooms that, that's not true but most things, if you hit a cabinet, then it, it contains, you know, um, maybe a mini version of Cooper that could be useful. Uh, during development, that was actually at one point called Mini Cooper, and the, the car company got a bit frustrated. <laughs> and went, yeah, you can't you can't use the phrase Mini Cooper in, in your game because that's the name of our car, so they had to change it to Miniature Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is fun at those points because then you having to to you know Cooper what he does he he looks you know he he puts his head in the direction of if there's something to be found and you can break the thing in an environment mm-hmm. and see what's there and quite often these rooms uh, are actually you know laid out that you need to use the things in the environments um, it's not just a case of you know use your fist and, and push through and as much as they are massively frustrating on occasions because if you're doing something you know. A, half a dozen times and you just want to exit that door but mm. thinking back on it now i think they were probably some of the better rooms because it, it involved me as a player to engage with with um you know the arenas a lot more than just i, th- I think if i just walked through the door very quickly in every single scenario it would have been you know a lot more disappointing as a game but what i like about the, the way the game's designed is that some rooms you can actually just walk through if you wanted to it's up to you not for all the rooms, but in some specific rooms, it's up to you if you want to activate the challenge or not. Like, you can just walk through some of these rooms and nothing happens. You're like, well, that's weird. And obviously when you come back, something does happen, but there is literally a challenge in every room. And if you decide to walk through it, then that's, that's your choice. Like I say, like, I think one of them is the furnace. The first time you go through the furnace, like, nothing happens in them the first time round. I might be wrong on this, but then you can activate a challenge if you wanted to because you want to look for the books and then, you know, you break something, the, the book flies out and then a bunch of ghoulies come and chase you. I think that's really clever. And the fact that the Grim Reaper also kills the enemies for you, for your benefit, and then he plays his guitar, that's a really good way. Of, well, <laughs> you know, he mimes a guitar with his scythe. That's a really good uh, game design decision because you're rewarded uh, for, for, you know, manipulating the Grim Reaper to kill an enemy. You're rewarded for that because the time is precious. Like, okay, if, if I get him to kill the last zombie... That's a little bit of time. And then he's going to play his guitar or his scythe. That's an extra bit of like, has an extra four seconds. And those four seconds are mm. what you need to get out of the room. I think that's, I think that's genius game design because it, it rewards yeah. you for, it's a risk reward. Like, oh, I'm risking it with the Grim Reaper because he's like twice the speed of me now. 
but if I just run around this washing machine and get into hit a zombie, I'm out. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does, but that's, that's part there, of the fun. There's some amazing moments where the Grim Reaper is all but like a quarter of an inch away from your character. Oh, God. And there's the open door ahead of you and your Peltonek just going, please, please, because that yeah. could be, if it, you know, particularly difficult challenge. You could have spent the last five minutes, you know, doing, you know, jumping through hoops, doing all sorts of things, yeah. and then to be and, killed and by him once the door is open is yeah, just yeah. the most yeah, you know, disheartening feeling going. Well, there's two things about that. First of all, is um, to say that you always see the back of Cooper. Actually, when there's a, when the Grim Reaper's behind him, I think when any enemy yeah, turns around, him, basically yeah, he turns around and, and sort of starts running backwards with his hands held up in a sort of uh, frightened, yeah, yeah, like he's scared and running backwards, um, and that that adds tension personally I think it's a little bit frustrating because I swear he moves faster going forwards I know he doesn't <laughs> but it feels like he should so don't stop worrying about what's behind you just turn and run you know um, so that that feels a little bit frustrating but I think the idea of it is just to build the tension in you because you can see that, that the character that represents you in, in the environment is, is scared as well um, but the other thing um, I was going to say is we've said this before with other games the the key thing about a game that is going to kill you almost willy-nilly is to make sure that it loads you straight back in to the same spot so you've not lost that much progress, um, barely any if possible, um, and give you a chance to try it again. And that is what actually makes even the most difficult, the most potentially frustrating rooms in this game certainly a lot more bearable, I would say mm. fine, because... What happens is you don't die, actually. You faint, and then you wake up where you spawned into the room and just do the whole thing again. And most rooms aren't more than a couple of minutes long. Yeah, there's there's a few where it's multiple stages and, and you desperately feel like there should have been a checkpoint at some point within those multiple stages. Certainly, yeah, but equally well, once you work out what the challenges are and once um, a couple of times I was in a room and I died a couple of times and it was only by virtue of running a different way the the second time through, I happened to find a, a power-up can mm. that suddenly changed everything in my favour. You know, it suddenly made things so much better and I knew how to avoid the the uh, ghoul cans, if you like, I'll call them, because they've got a little spectre above them that lets me know that I desperately well, don't want to pick that up. And um, sometimes if it's a big enough battle and you know... I mean, it's one of those games where occasionally you just need to die. Like, if if you come against a room and, you know, the the odds are well against you, um, you're, you're better off actually exploring the environment, you know, dying a couple of times, just seeing what's there for you to play around yeah, with yeah. Um, and just being okay with that before, you know, Making your you know, you know half a dozen final runs to yeah. to try to beat the uh, whatever you know will be in your way because sometimes the rooms do get quite hectic. Mm. So it's it's not just a, you know single type of character. It it could be no, you no, know a, a number. I'm trying to think of the characters now, but they, you know there could be a a number of I call them Medusas where they got their the the um yeah they are called Medusas yeah, yeah, the, in the game the lights yeah. in their in their uh, from their eyes panel on the ground and you know, if they see you then you have to do a, a number of button yeah. presses to get out of, and, get out of that. And there's a few enemies that seem... Medusas are one of them, the vampires. They seem absolutely impenetrable mm-hmm. and unkillable to begin with. And then you work out what it is you need or how you're supposed to defeat them, mm. or not, as the case may be. Um, the cellar is one of the, the rooms that particularly stands out for me um, because you go through it and there's nothing in the room except a bunch of giant casks. Because it's a cellar, so they've got mm-hmm. like sort of giant whiskey casks that... That you would would have some kind of wine or, or spirit in, 
um, and you walk through the room and it, it closes as you get to the very end of it um, and sets a challenge up, um, which I think is you have to kill a certain number of enemies and you've seen no enemies um, and the time starts ticking down and you think, well, there's no enemies. What the hell am I supposed to do? And it's only then you realise after about 10 seconds of running around, which is wasted time at that mm. point, you need to crack open the casks and in those might be power-ups, in those might be enemies um, and so you're going to die that first time around. You just are because the time's already running down. You don't know what's in which cask, but you run around and find out what's in which cask in the time you have left. And then next time round, pop open the ones that, that have hmm. power-ups in them beforehand, go and trigger the challenge, and then you know how to tackle the environment. And you can really start to plan. That doesn't mean I didn't die four or five oh times God. in that room, but it does mean that you get a better handle on on it um and, and you start to you build progressive strategy each time you add something else and layer something into your mm, strategy definitely. um uh, of how to do it and then it, you know when it works i don't think there is a lot of ceremony you don't get a mission passed up on the screen or anything but just getting through that door even though you know you're just loading into the next room and and that's going to be a challenge again um that's that's enough to to sort of it's a little win on the on the way through the game that's yeah there's that's, there's like there's musical yeah. stings that happen like did 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 yeah. for like when you've done a challenge and then mm-hmm. the, the, the vines <laughs> disappear from a door and uh yeah. you know the door creaks open so it has got its own unique charm in ways of letting you know that you're yeah. doing well and i you know I, I think the cans is a really good idea of you know, mixing up the gameplay because like you'll accidentally hit a spider into like a, a box and then a thing pops out. You're like, oh my god, I need that. Like it might be freeze all enemies, <laughs> but then you might want to like you might die in a room and think, well, next time, how about if I freeze the enemies yeah. when all the pirates come out? And then you start, you know, changing your your strategy. Uh, you know, every, like, like say trial and error, like trial and error in a good way for me with this because it's like, okay, I'm I've, I've died. It doesn't take too long to get back into a room. How about if I pop the the, the place where the freeze enemy is and when the pirate comes in because they're you know they're bastards let's um let's freeze them and i'll take them all out in one go when they when they can't ever move yeah there's there's a there's a room close to the back end of the game right i think it's the end, right in the chapter three where um it's like a like an electrical conductivity room and stuff like that um, yeah yeah um and in there there's there's three really big um, baddies that have like a hundred plus health, yeah. and they take ages to wear down. If they grab you, they can throw you across the room. They're absolutely pain in the ass things to kill, and you you know that you need to kill these things to, to progress for the level. Uh, and then if you know that was always going to be hard, but then you also need to get a key from something else, and, and mm-hmm. something else from something else. And the first time I did that, I mean, I I think I killed the first one, then got the, the second one halfway down. And uh, I got killed, repeated again. I got the two down, then got killed by the third one. And then like the skeleton spawns, but you, you know you can't kill the skeleton because he's going to call the reaper. And mm-hmm. uh, it literally, you know, the, this is me as a, a 30-year-old man. I threw the pad across the room and told the game <laughs> to f off, and I'm going to bed. Um, and that happened, and I was like, I can't. But this game has really made me angry. I came back it back to it the night uh, later, and actually thought, actually, because I've been playing it for a long time, think about this, and I just avoided all the enemies in the room. I explored everywhere, and just you know, got killed a couple of times doing so. But then came across a freeze item in there, and uh, one hit kill. So mm. um, just lured all the guys into one corner, froze them, one hit killed them. Um, and then just went on with my merry business. There's one or two other. Tr- the, the problem with that room in particular is that you need the Grim Reaper to kill uh, the lady in the coffin, the vampire yeah. in the coffin. And uh, a couple of times, 
oh, I died there, just trying to get him to, to sting her rather than sting oh, me. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I even got at one stage in that one, he'd he done that, and then the blinking skeleton hit me enough to delay me that I got killed just as I was about to get out the door, which is just so frustrating. And you've also got those little funny worms that explode after five yes. seconds chasing you, and yeah, I know exactly where, yeah, where you are. That is a difficult, that is a difficulty spike right there. But mm. And it utterly frustrating at the time and I, and I know just from general talking to people on, on Twitter and you know the bigger community that a lot of people do find this game quite frustrating but um, you know, I, I think you know looking back at it now that I mean that's actually one of the more interesting rooms because it just tested me to to you know to, to meet to use all the items but at the time I just I just you know after dying the fourth fifth time you, it's more frustrating than I guess you know rewarding when you're when you're living in that moment hmm. Um. So there's, I mean, there's other stuff. You, you, you've got plenty of weapons to play with. Um, they're all kind of comical. You've got a so- soda can launcher, uh, very American. Um, you've got a, a, like a holy water gun that uh, hits the zombies and, and they go. You've got a fire extinguisher. You've got these little bat things or ghouly bat type things that are on flames. And yeah, things. they're um, actually the Jinjos from Banjo Kazooie. There was ah. like a, there's an evil version called Minjo obviously, and uh, they've got like little horns. It's them taken from Banjo-Kazooie, because it's the Banjo team who made this game, and they've, they've obviously turned them into imps and, you know, little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle imps as well as that. So there are definitely, like, shades of, um, of Banjo-Kazooie lying around this game. Yeah, and they're, they're all comical. Mm. Uh, they, yeah. they all have served their purpose, and, you know, there's one or two puns certainly to do with the soda launcher making stuff sticky everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nothing... Spectacular! I don't think they, they they suit the game pretty well. Yeah, I I do like the fact that um, there's a couple of the enemies that without the particular weapon that is for them, um, you just you can't damage them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically the the vampires, uh, you need the garlic gun to to damage them, and and if you hit them, it's two shots and they're they're gone. Which for an enemy that is otherwise really difficult is is actually quite something. Mm. Um, to see when that happens, um, and I, I think I'm right in saying the chickens as well. You can't in, you can't damage them at all without the um, without the um, so the gun for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is quite interesting because uh, I, I was getting repeatedly really frustrated every time you'd come out of a couple of rooms after having been given the weapon yeah. and have the person stood there, and you're like. <laughs> No, I'm not going over to you. I'm not going near <laughs> you because I'm not giving you back this gun. My kill stick. You, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Because you, it feels so powerful that you just want to. No, no. Keep this one. Where's my weapon wheel? I want all the weapons, please. Because yeah. it make the game so easy. But obviously, you realise that the nature of the challenge room is the next challenge room needs to be something that's going to test you. Yeah. And if you had this weapon, it might not. Or you might over rely on that weapon, and some weapons don't actually work on mm. particular enemies. So therefore, again. Um, you know, shooting water at some of these enemies does nothing. Yeah. So, the, what they're doing is actually for your benefit, but it feels like you're having something taken away from <laughs> yeah. you every time, which is really unfortunate that it feels that way. But it goes to show the the importance of those weapons when you do get them. So, yeah, they don't um they don't hang around today in, in giving them to you and taking them away from you. They do a really good job of breaking up yeah. the gameplay. The, you know, the core essence of the gameplay, which is essentially a, you know, a brawler. And they, they give you a, a special item, but you don't have it for too long. So you, like, like you say, so you yeah. get used to it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is a very good way of making you feel like, yeah. you know, you, you've, you're gutted that you've lost the, um, the candlestick because you can't take the mummies yeah. down any other way, really. Your, your brawler reference is, is a great one, actually, because obviously in something like Streets of Rage, that weapon would break. That's what mm. would, would 
would take it away from you. And that's just the mechanic in there. You can't have that this time because where are all these soda launchers coming from if they're going to break every time? Um, but it's essentially the same thing. It's just but the, I mean, to the, the, end the main environment and, is exactly like that. Right. So you know, beyond the actual weapon, physical weapons that you're given them, I mean, most of the game is fought with chairs and mm. uh, yeah, frying pans yeah. and general stuff that you pick up from the environment. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's some nice moves where, uh, say, there's a snooker table or you know a, a big sofa or something in the middle yeah. of a room where it's it's one use items where you you get a little you know, pop up that you can interact with it, and you you and you can basically yeah. spin it around Cooper himself and take out multiple weapon uh, weapons, multiple uh, enemies with one hit, which is always you know crowd control weapons are they're fantastic. The number of times I saw that prompt and and pressed the oh, A button, no. And thought, no, I've just realised yeah. what I've done. Super weapon wasted. Anywhere near me, and, <laughs> and as soon as you've used it once, the the thing breaks and, and visibly is no longer usable. It's like oh, I've just ruined that. How do you how do you feel the bosses work in this game? Because there's I mean they're not prominent, but there's one or two in here. I mean certainly the final boss dude you come up against Baron von Gaul. It's quite an entertaining uh, final boss fight. <laughs> he's got the best intro to any character. In the to go back to the start of the game, he's in the uh, in the window in his in his, in his uh, bedroom, and he's doing like an aeroplane. He's flying past, going. You just think, what's going on? What's going on inside this mansion? But yeah, him as a boss, he's um. He's long-winded. He's a bit of a mm-hmm. chore, and there are moments where you can't actually damage him, and I think that's a bit frustrating. Um, it's it's a nice idea. It kind of reminds me of a Grand Tilda yeah. from Banjo Kazooie, where it's a long, drawn-out mm-hmm. process, and the sense of satisfaction when you beat it is is great. Yeah. Waves of enemies, and you have to pay attention. Yeah, um, I didn't pay attention, and so I didn't realize he was dropping his um, propeller yeah. uh, sort of uh, cane. Um, after sort of two or three hits from me <laughs> so I didn't see that I was just running around hitting him running away oh, again running no. around trying to hit him and I was like it's never going down this is ridiculous what do I have to do and I literally did that four or five times with him just because that room oddly he seems um, to drop actually, the stick but I don't know what to do well, no I, I just hadn't spotted him dropping the stick because there's enough corners and, and the curtains that are over the side um at one side of the room were just constantly sort of blocking him and I never wanted to stay close enough because mm. I was getting knocked yeah, around by him so much yeah. um, and you've got so much health that actually dying in that room at that stage of the fight is actually pretty difficult to do because yeah. you get 50 health when you walk in um, and so I, I was yeah playing through yeah. like five minutes each time two or three times before three times I think at least um, before I, I worked out he was dropping a stick and I could run over and pick it up mm. Uh, and that was how to. That was only him. stage yeah, one of the of the boss fight. Then. And that was only stage one. Yeah. <laughs> there is a... Although I think it be- it became pretty obvious that when he's in the air in the plane, you can't damage him, and and it does. I think probably just by virtue of having played other games since, you realise he is charging you, and you need to let him hit something yeah. to make him vulnerable, and that's kind of very video gamey. I'm mm. not sure if if it was so obvious at the time, but it certainly is now. It's it's really quite obvious that that's what you need to do at that stage. Yeah, there are ways of um, making that process a bit shorter. Uh, mm. When he's running around with the stick, you can go to the bathroom and you get a super weapons item uh, pickup can. So you, you knock the stick out of his hands, you make the cutscene happen, which happens every time you play the boss fight, which is boring. Uh, but then you pick up the super weapons can, and then you've got unlimited stick, uh, and then you can li- you right. can literally knock him down within like thirty seconds. Because um, because that runs the entirety of yeah. of the of the can's duration. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it's also kind of strange because he doesn't pay attention to you if you don't go he runs near it. to him. So <laughs> so I spent a long time just running around the room, seeing what I had to damage him with, just like picking up everything, seeing what was there, and obviously nothing is the answer. Nothing obvious, at least, if you don't 
won't realise you have his stick mm-hmm. as, a, as a weapon. Yeah, but you do find a number of extra health points and uh, you know yeah, useful yeah, stuff that will happen. You know, be useful at the back end of the, you know like in- <laughs> and that super weapon can. I can't tell you how frustrating that is when you think all you've got is plates and they do no damage to them. <laughs> <laughs> you. Just they're like, what is going on? Yes, yeah, I don't care if it's a super weapon. It's a super piece of crap. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a typical um, rare but, boss fight. It's you know, it's it's not very fun. It's, well, it's learning by dying, which is. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, probably back then, we were, we were a little bit more used to, I mean, the game mechanics have come on leaps and bounds, but it, it's kind of funny going back to it now, where, <laughs> you know, you just learn from dying over and over and over again. But, it's, it's, yeah. you know, plenty of games, I mean, James, you're a big fan of Super Meat Boy, both of you two are a big fan of Super Meat Boy, so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's all about sussing yeah. what you need to do, even if it's, you know, fairly obvious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I think the, maybe the the difference there is that this game... At a certain point, I didn't feel like I was getting any better at the combat or at the game mm. because it, it doesn't feel like you understand the mechanics better and get better at executing them. You understand the mechanics pretty early on, and the only difference is you realise that you don't hold the the um, right stick in a certain direction. You can, and, you, and you'll sort of keep hitting, but you need to be tapping that right mm-hmm. stick in, in the directions you want to tap it. Once you've learned that, that's kind of it because there's no... It's not like Mario Kart where you realise, you know, if, if you if you slide and, and, and drift you can get a boost or anything like that. There's there's not really much extra nuance to it beyond oh, there's a, a melee weapon or there's a, a throwable weapon, mm. pick that up, here's what I'm gonna do with it, you know. Um so I think that's the difference is with Super Meat Boy, I always felt like even when I was dying I was getting better at the game. Mm. This boss fight is a pretty good example of Every time I'm dying, I'm not getting better at the game. I know what I have to do. So, okay, the first part of the fight isn't as difficult, but it doesn't get any easier. The first time you've beaten it, it's because you knew what you had to do. And so the next time and time after that and time after that, it's just repeating that first section of the fight over again, you know, because you've already done it. They also end the game really oddly um, you know, contrary to what you've really been doing for the rest of the game <laughs> that you've come across people within these rooms and you know, they're just other people that have clearly wandered into the house and been locked up by the Baron in, in different locations that you've wandered through and once you, you beat the Baron boss or you assume you beat him the Baron at the very end of the game they suddenly give you this challenge and I think mm. 10 minutes 12 minutes something like that yeah. uh, where you need to I think it's 10 rooms you need to, to work your way oh, through yeah. It's quite a few, isn't it? I think you could save ten people. Yeah, there's, there's ten yeah, people. Ten in rooms, there. twelve minutes. Yeah, um, yeah, and it gives you twelve minutes to do all these different rooms, uh, and some of them are you know relatively simple. You just walk through, um, but other, some of the other ones are, are really quite hard rooms. And then you've got this you yeah, know, yeah, odd yeah. time limit at the top. If you die, you respawn into a room, but any uh, any time that you've spent in that room. Um, yeah, the timer just carries the timer on. Just carries on. Yeah. Now I I got through there, and I think I had like two minutes remaining on the clock. Um, I can't remember from the first time ever. You know what happens if that timer runs out? Do you get a slightly different ending, or do you have to redo the whole section? Yeah, I went through it uh, and got eight of them, and kicks you straight to the cutscene. Uh, finish the game cutscene, and and so at the end you just get a report on your um, on your performance, and you saved eight of the of the people. I I really like this. Um, and so you, I, uh, before we go in, so you didn't get uh, yeah. Mars Soup Will 
comes nope. in the very okay nope. yeah so yeah slightly um, different ending for you then you, you save Ollie uh, and then you have a cutscene of of yourself and Amber leaving and and looking at a map and deciding to go down to the village and Amber says something on the lines yeah of, so it's, it's oh that sounds like a lovely place let's go stay there which is just... so if you do it within the time limit you actually go back to the you go outside in the park yeah. area and yeah, um, I've, I've read it. This, yeah. yeah, well, spoilers, I guess, but you get you get knocked <laughs> out, and uh, Mars Soup Will, who's been there, you know, along the game, she's the cook, comes down and she kicks ass with a great big wooden spoon and kills all the things. It's is yeah, it's kind of charming. You also get to see Mister Ribs, who's you know a fun yeah, character, yeah. Um, which is kind of strange, isn't it? If if you succeed in the challenge, you have an extra fight that you have to do. <laughs> Whereas if you don't succeed, it's just like oh, end of the game. Same thing happens. You know, there's no no real difference. There's no punishment. But, yeah, I think um, it's kind of a reward in a, in a strange way because it's like it's completely different to the rest of the game that you played. You know, you play as a as a giant yeah, lady with a yeah. massive spoon, and in, uh, in, in, in all the enemies are just little tiny imps. So it is kind of like a Godzilla against New York situation where you're just just trampling over them and. You know, there are times where I actually running low on health, which you know, kind of defeats the point of having a satisfying end because you're like, oh my god, I'm getting a bit yeah, stressed yeah, out. So yeah. they could have made it yeah. a bit more friendly to the uh, to the player. Unlike other games such as Batman, where we had huge amounts of uh, feedback from the community, and we all—I mean, Darren and me—we knew this game was was more on the, the you know the verge of oh. I, you know, have you played it or not um, so we wasn't expecting a huge amount of forum feedback or freeware reviews but we did get one of each so <laughs> James would you like to tackle insert coins uh, feedback from the forum yeah absolutely uh, insert coins says grab by the ghoulies was the first game that rare produced for Microsoft and it signified one of two things for its audience it was either the beginning of the end for rare marking the beginning of its period of reduced productivity and plummet in quality from the company's magical run on the SNES and N64, or it was Rare Swansong, the last game other than arguably Cameo that really captured the Rare magic before the aforementioned decline. I tend to find myself in the latter camp. I view it as the folks at Rare waving goodbye to their fans as they sail off towards the horizon. As a boy, I grew up on Rare games. Everything from Donkey Kong Country to Banjo-Kazooie and Goldeneye to Conker's Bad Fur Day. Rare titles were magic. They were like the Disney movies of video gaming. They were not only consistently technologically impressive, always half a console gener- generation ahead of everyone else, but they also had a certain personality and spirit that they all shared. A unique feeling that made them rare games. It was the bouncy and brilliant music of Grant Kirkhope, the vibrant, colourful art direction, the cheeky British sense of humour. In a way, Grab Bag the Ghoulies captured all of these individual el- elements and delivered what I think of as a rare memorial museum. The game had a noticeably smaller, less ambitious scale than what fans had come to expect of Rare, and the gameplay was comparatively simple. But the art direction was fun, the humour was intact, and Grant Kirkhope absolutely went wild and delivered one of his best video game soundtracks in his impressive career. Overall, the game isn't a high-flying, action-packed adventure like Banjo-Kazooie, but it is charming in its own way. I don't get maddeningly excited about it, but I'd say I have more of a schoolyard crush on it. Well, first thing I'll say to in Mr. Insert Coins is, uh, have you played uh, Viva Piñata? Because mm. <laughs> yeah. if, if there's going to be any swan song, I, I really feel like that. Or even you know, Nuts and Bolts. Nuts and Bolts is the other one, yeah. that's yeah. I think um, most people would say that there are other games that, that Rare made um, that, that, that have merit. 
I even like Connect Sports. But... Yeah, I, I don't think they've made a bad game since, to be honest. But it's just not what they once were, and that's what makes it a perfect. Dial zero. That I, I, yeah. I disagree, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's knock that one off the list. Like the fact that I forgot about it is telling. That, like, <laughs> but that game was yeah. a confused mess. That was that was crossed. That was GameCube, Xbox, Xbox Three Sixty. That game had no focus and. Just one other thing, unless I'm mistaken, he mentions Donkey Kong Country. Yes, that's a rare game. They're, yeah, on the, on the SNES. Yeah, oh, definitely right. Super Nintendo. Oh, rare with like the, the pioneers. Uh, that's why Nintendo were like so on board on buying Rare yeah, yeah, because yeah. they made these graphics that no one ever made, like for, for Donkey Kong Country. Okay, and then... cool. Goes to show. Anyway, I didn't realize that was them at all. Mm, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I knew they. I knew they uh, did. Uh, Sixty-four. Sixty-four. Yeah, but. And Darren and me will tackle the free word reviews, uh, all two of them. Um, Fury Ace, uh, always contribution to the show. Rare's real bogeyman. And I'm not too sure if this is a genuine three word review or he got confused about the system, but Grant Kirkhope, the man himself, um, <laughs> the, the guy who made music that defined my, my teens, like I was just constantly listening to N64 music. Uh, yeah, Grant Kirkhope says, hmm, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> which which on the one hand is maybe a response to what we said were some difficulty spikes throughout the game mm. maybe that's what you meant possibly on the other hand maybe it's just a reflection of the fact that anyone who's made a game could would probably struggle to sum it up in three words because yeah. there's so much more going on in in their emotions and memories i like the ambiguity i think that's cool yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> um so to our own summaries, uh, I'll go first, um, followed by James, and then Darren as the person that was the uh, you know, the developer of said game. <laughs> <laughs> you helped. You helped in your own way. Yes, um, it's to me. This is. I mean, this is one that I, I really wanted to play, um, and, you know, and, and it's one I put forward previously myself to to, to be on the show for. Um, I th- I think visually it, it's held up really well. Uh, it doesn't look ten years old, but I, I think in in, game, in terms of gameplay and, and storytelling and all that stuff, I think it, it feels quite dated. And and also, sadly for me, it doesn't really feel like a great rare game. And you know, we shouldn't always talk about you know a, a developers' previous titles. Um, but you know, if you look at rare, they they've made some fantastic games and they've made some you know amazing games thereafter from this. It, it feels very much like a game for a new platform. It feels quite like like it was a rush development. Um, it's it's quite simple. I mean, if this was a game to be released now, it, then no doubt it would be released on something like XBLA or the you know, PlayStation Network. Um, it probably wouldn't be six hours long. I think they would you know they would tighten up many many elements of the of the challenge rooms and make them you know more varied than than what they are. But it doesn't mean it's completely without charm. The, some of the rare charm is still there, and certainly in the visuals department, it's still there. But um, and a lot of that charm comes from being chased by the Reaper, because it's just it, mm. it you know it's com- you know, makes you completely tense. Um, and it's, so there's some good challenge room stuff in there. It's just to me, I mean, the game's only you know five or six hours long, but it, it felt quite long-winded. Um, uh, I, I wanted to like it more because I love that title. I love the, the intro of Grab by the mm-hmm. Goonies. It's fantastic. But I think my memory was more about that intro than it was about the gameplay stuff. Um, there was one or two scenes coming back to it that I, I chuckled that I remembered were hard 
that time around and continue to be hard this time around. So I don't think it's a game completely without merit, but I, I also don't think you know it's one of those ones where we dug out the archive and it's it's a hidden gem. I think it's just you know, it's one of those games that have been and gone. It feels very much like it was a you know the first attempt on a on a new development from well to a new development uh, or to a new. What would you call Microsoft? A uh, uh, publisher, yeah. I guess, or a new home. And, yeah, yeah, so it, it feels very much like it was uh, rushed to, to get out on a new platform for Microsoft. Um, some of that stuff may not be founded. I mean, Darren would probably know more. But it doesn't feel like this fully-fledged, rare game that we'd all known and loved. You know, something like Donkey Kong or you know Banjo. I, I'm thinking, the problem when I think of rare, I think of you know these great big exploring environments or you know lots to do in these environments and what you're given here is very much a self-contained um, environment and they try to let the hu- the humor come through and the humor doesn't always work so it, it feels like a really odd mish- mashed package that just didn't particularly you know gel fantastic with me this time so i don't say i didn't enjoy playing through it but it, it wouldn't be one that I, you know, i'd be on here now saying look i know the game's 10 years old but really give it a chance because outside of its visuals i think many of the elements have, have dated uh considerably uh so james uh yeah, I'll start off by disagreeing. Ah, um, well, I'll start off by that. agreeing. Visually, <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, my disagreement is um, I'm not sure that mechanically this game has dated. I think it was very simplistic for the time it came out. Uh, obviously, I didn't play it at the time, so but I, I do have a pretty reasonable idea um, of, of what no, I would Mechanically, I don't think it's game. dated. I just I think if it was developed now, the scenarios, mm. the challenges that would be given to you would be more varied yeah okay so more overall game game uh design ideas might have yeah been just been tightened up yeah yeah no that's fair enough um I, I guess what i mean by saying that is just that i think of it as a very simple game um i i played through it as i say it took me five hours so i wasn't hanging around if i found books to collect i collected them yeah um i think the the thing that struck me ab- about this and maybe it's it's stuff we've covered before was um a lot of the items in the room uh, that you can break that have you know pickups in them have rare logos on the front. A lot of the vases do certainly. Um, some of the other uh, set dressings uh, and breakable items have rare logo on. It, it's definitely not that it feels out of place, but l- like we said earlier, that logo has a certain has not a certain has a lot of cachet to it. You know, it means a lot to a lot of people, um, and so it seems odd to see it littered around so many different places in, in this game. Um, it's nice to see it. It's a familiar logo that that I, despite having not played nearly as much or as many of of, um, of Rare's games as, as Darren or yourself, Tony, I, I have a lot of respect for it and, and think a lot of it from, you know, Goldeneye and Perfect Dark and that kind of thing. Um but it, it just somehow seeing it everywhere in this game doesn't it's something slightly off about it I'm not sure if it's because it's niggling at the back of my head that they put it everywhere in here to make sure that everyone knew that Microsoft <laughs> had Rare or yeah. or or you know it, there's so much about this game in terms of visuals in terms of the soundtrack and the music and, and some of the way it's presented and everything that there's a lot of charm to it that goes with hand in hand with Rare but it feels really simple and not in a not in a way that games can be very, very simple to play, but there's a lot of depth beyond that, or there's a lot more to it. 
Yeah, and and I think it's it's just because there are parts of it that hit really well. Uh, like I've said, charm, you know, the aesthetics of it, both visual and, and oral. Um, that that's A U R A. Sorry. So there's there's a lot to it that has got so much going for it, and and yet there's there's some areas where it doesn't quite work as i as i would have hoped and it's kind of the same with the challenge rooms there's some of the challenge rooms where the the icons pop up and you think wow okay i get what they they intended this room to be what they are teaching me about the challenges and about the way to play the game but there's other challenge rooms where the the curses that the the some of the is it cursed mummies can throw out um I got hit by one of those and had 20 seconds left on the timer before the curse ran out and had 30 seconds that I had to survive in the room. That just is frustrating. That's 20 seconds of me standing there going, well, what the hell do I do now? That just breaks that room. Uh, I think that's an example of something that just didn't need to be there at all, frankly. I don't need to be dodging a curse when I'm also dodging a, a you know, um, death and dodging uh, various other... Uh, monsters around the room um, so there's stuff like that where it's just there's some great highs but the lows just kind of tempered the whole thing for me some of it yeah just didn't quite work it's just the charm of of yeah. those little those little moments those little moments where it's just yeah you can't help but grin because it's it's great hmm Darren yeah it's um this game for me is a weird one to summarize uh, because mostly I am just numb to the game in terms of how it plays and how it, how it feels to me. Because, like I say, I used to play this game on autopilot. So 10 years later, when they came back to play it, all those feelings come running back. And it's surprising. While I've forgotten most of the game's power-ups and bits and bobs in the washing machines and the time of and that, I've actually remembered how to play the game how I did back then, which is just kind of on rails and, like I say, on autopilot. And it's really hard for me to... I kind of feel like I played it that way anyway, so maybe yeah. it's more of the game than... Yeah, but like, it's more of like a critical path for me, you know? It's like, okay, I know within this room I knew exactly what to do and how to do it, and like, I knew for some rooms that I knew I had trouble back in the day, I knew there was an invisibility can so I could sneak through without any challenge <laughs> kicking off. It's, it's a really weird one for me to um, to summarise as a or recommend at all nowadays because it's... Like I say, I'm just so immune to its its charms, and you know it does have its moments for me. Like the spiders make a really nice, cute noise, and mm-hmm. you know the worms explode, and they have like these real crazy faces on, and the, the Grim Reaper we spoke about, you know, he's, he's, vampire chickens, you know. Oh, uh, it's you know it is just and the, the TVs that uh, you get close to them, and they they you know they zap, but you have to find ways of killing them with projectiles and and water and stuff like that. Um, but you know it is. It feels like a confused game. It feels like it's trying to hit two different markets and it kind of represents what Rare was at at the time. It was kind of cross Nintendo, cross Microsoft. And it definitely shows in the final product. You know, it's kind of cartoony, it's quite cutesy, but on the same time, it, it can get really hard. And, you know, and the art style was kind of, like we said earlier, kind of straddles two lines. That, that, that is, I mean, we, we had a little discussion about this on Twitter and, and I agree, it's really odd because, you know, the face of the game is very much like, oh, this is welcome, you know, we're finally bringing Rare onto our Xbox platform and, you know, and a long come, I mean, I suppose Rare have done quite difficult games in the past, so you, you shouldn't have expected anything less. But on the face of it, it looks quite a cutesy game, you know, approachable to all, and the control method would suggest that exactly that is what Rare and Microsoft are aiming for, yet there's points in that game where, like I said, it's pad-thrownly frustrating um, and yeah. takes, you know, a, a, a reasonable amount of skill to come through. So, I, yeah, I, I imagine a, a younger 
yeah, more probably younger children are better than me, but yeah, there's an age group that would absolutely just you know not get past certain sections. So yeah, like I say, it definitely feels like a game that's confused, but ultimately it's you know for, for the short time it takes to complete it, it is it is worth seeing it through just just for, for what Insert Coin said. It's kind of like a museum of rare. You what you walk through, you see Killer Instinct on on the game shelves, you see. Attic Attack on the posters. You see a load of old, mm, ultimate like player stuff. game stuff. Yeah, it kind of feels kind of like a yeah. This is like maybe the last kind of game that you're going to see this kind of stuff in. I don't think Rare are going to make a game again where they reference everything. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I don't think they're going to do that again. I think they're going to stick to their sports and maybe poop out a Perfect Dark when they want some money. But I think you know, I, I, I don't think they've got the chops to make a game like that again. It's it's horrible to say because Nuts and Bolts is brilliant. And so is Viva Pinata and stuff, but you know the, the sales would suggest that Viva Pinata and Nuts and Bolts aren't worth making anymore. Think, uh, and then just to drag this on a little bit, but do you think that's that's more down to just the, the style of game that Rare makes no longer appeals to a mass audience, or is it that Rare have lost their touch? It's hard because they haven't produced a game for a number of years now. But I always I felt like Viva Pinata and Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts were fabulous games from start to finish. Um, yet they just you know, didn't sell. I mean, this it's talking about this game, and this game didn't do gangbusters for Microsoft. There was rumours that there was possibly a sequel in the works, but I mean, that's never happened. They even allude to it at the end of the game. It's funny, like ten years down the line, yeah, that that didn't happen, guys. Sorry. <laughs> like, um, and I, I mean, that's one of the, re- the reasons. Like, you know, I I talked about the you know, Rare's acquisition at the very start because when you look at the the money paid and the money made, I. I yeah, you, you wonder whether it actually covered costs in the end yeah. than, than buying it. I think Rare now for Microsoft are more of an R&D team. They're, 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 Rare's R&D research and development team have always been top-notch, which you know clearly shows in the final products of games like Conquest Bad Photo. When you first saw that, you're like, how is this N64? Do you know what I mean? So they're, they're, you know, their they're technical team are superb, and I think they've been doing a lot for Microsoft behind the scenes that you won't know about. Obviously, the Avatar stuff is a is a big thing for you know, Rare and Microsoft because it sets the standard for Windows now and Windows Phone and uh, anything Microsoft, basically. So, yeah, but I think in terms of their IP, I just don't think it's suited for the market that the Xbox is aiming towards. They've tried and, you know, they'll they'll probably try again with the Xbox One. Uh, But I just don't think Banjo-Kazooie, you know, because it was on on Nintendo first. Like, Xbox, you know, there are cross, you know, players like me and you who will go to Xbox and play Banjo-Kazooie, but... It was a Nintendo thing, you know? And if you put Gran Turismo on Xbox, would it do the same numbers? Pro- probably not. You know, that's a bad example, but if you put, <laughs> if you put a, a Sony product, seemingly a Sony product on a different console, does that, yes, does that translate? That weird so, second, second. Yeah. Arguably the people who want it are the people who are going to have a Wii U and, and be well, playing. I, yeah, I think the industry is different now because you, you don't really, I mean, if you have, um, what's it called? They, the second publishers, aren't they? That, you know, they, they're close, party, yeah, it's yeah. closely nicked, but you you often find that most of those IPs now are just a lot, you know, firmly down to whoever's doing the the, the funding of the those projects. I think in that case, it was rare. Were just you know they had a few hits on their own and they managed to keep the IP. I, nowadays, you don't really see. It. I mean, that's why you see, was it um you know Bungie and people you know being very much like we need to go and make our own thing now and mm-hmm. Microsoft you know take Halo, so you do, you do see it, but yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, the market has changed away from mascots and you know cutesy things like that. Although having said that, I think Viva Pinata can still work. I think if another Viva Pinata came out and they made it more social and more appealing to interact with other people, the fact the problem I have with Viva Pinata is that 
it, the multiplayer wasn't really there, and that game needs to be more like maybe you, like... you know that would be microtransaction now, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. be buying stuff to feed your fudge hogs. Yeah, you just shut on my heart there, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just think uh, I think Rare needs to come up with new IP and maybe it's a weird one. Isn't it? the, the question is: Are they who Microsoft go to for a new new intellectual property, yeah. you know, new get new? Game. I think no, uh, who knows? I think we don't know. Um, I think now you need to look at who the people were working for Rare, and now most of them are independent. Yeah. Try going to gory detail to check out the new game about the the dog that's got a wonky wheel, and um, <laughs> I forgot what it's called now. But they had a game called Parachute Stand, which looked and felt similar to um, Conquers Bad Fur Day in terms of visuals, and you know that's Chris Evil, and you've you've got uh, Jennifer who now works for Yam Yam Games, who's making Tengami and. Yeah, there's there's loads of people out there who used to work for Rare who made the magic happen, and you know they're sort of doing it on their own now. So do a bit of research. Cool. Hmm. So uh, that was grabbed by the Ghoulies. Uh, I'd like to thank James and Darren for joining me on this show. Uh, next week, Liam will be your host, and he will be tackling the spreadsheet tastic championship stroke football manager, along with James and Carl. Um, so that, that I'm sure that will be interesting. <laughs> you don't sound sure. No. Although kudos on the pun tackling football. Yeah, it's good. Manager. That's that's good stuff. No, I mean, it, it's one of those games that frightens me. I, you know, I, I'm a huge football fan, but it, it's never interested me. But I'm sure if I got into it, I'd lose the hundreds of hours that I hear people do to such things. So. Uh, I'm looking to, you know, it's a very different show for the team, so it'll be really interesting to see how that one comes off. I'm sure there'll be plenty of history because that series has been around for a very long time. So anyway, thank you very much for joining us for Grab by the Goodies. Mm-hmm.